two weeks ago, I kicked off a new series to conclude 2017 and to start 2018, and we're continuing this series tonight, and we're embracing the fact that we are designed by God to be party people. Let's get it started. Let's get it started in here. Let's get it started. Let's get it started in here. Let's celebrate life and do life together with energy. We're to celebrate life as people who enjoy life and do life together. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see these parties that God prescribed his people to celebrate. They're parties that God said, I want you to celebrate. They're actually called feasts in the Old Testament, but he actually told his people, um, this is part of your identity. And part of your identity of being a, a man or woman of God is you're created on purpose to celebrate. You're supposed to celebrate. We talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16, 17, and 18, that there's a couple of verses that help us understand this in the New Testament. We're to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. You want to know what God's will is for you in your life? Right there. I mean, he says it. He says this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, it doesn't say that we're to go around with a fake smile plastered on our face. It doesn't say that we're um, not gonna have days that are difficult. It, it, it doesn't say that we're supposed to pretend that everything's okay when everything's really not okay. But what it does mean is in the midst of grief, in the midst of loss, in the midst of challenges, that we can have joy in Christ that cannot be taken and a hope that cannot be shaken. That's what it says. Last week, we talked then about Jesus bringing the joy to the party. And we talked about a couple of parties, a couple of examples at the beginning of the, the New Testament, at the beginning of uh, Jesus' ministry on earth, and uh, he and his disciples attended these parties. And I started that off last week by asking a question, um, why would Jesus go to the parties? Uh, it seems like he didn't have time to go to those parties. His time on earth was limited. He only had three years. The older I get, the more I'm convinced I can hold my breath for three years. It just goes by like that. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? Three years and it's over. And you're like, what happened to the time? That's all the time ha that Jesus had on earth to download in the classroom of understanding to his disciples all the information he needed to so that they then could establish the church on earth as we now know it. So why did he take time to go to these week-long parties? Well, we found out last week that it's because Jesus brings the joy. Even when he doesn't attend a party, wherever Jesus goes, it seems like a party tends to break out. The joy follows Jesus. Now this week, oh, this week, we are gonna look at a different story, a different party. And so we're looking in the book of Luke chapter 14. Turn in your Bibles there. I'd also like you to dog ear in your Bible or bookmark in your Bible, Acts chapter 10. So we're gonna be hanging out in Luke chapter 14 in the, the New Testament and also Acts chapter 10 in the New Testament. So get your device, make sure you're looking at this. We will put them on the screen, but it's really helpful if you can write notes in your Bible or underline or highlight or put some stars or something by that. It's really good for me too because I put a star by something in the Bible that's encouraging to me, knowing that one day I'm gonna need some encouragement from the word of God. And then I just flip through my Bible. When I see a star, I, look, I read what that says and it never fails. God always comes through for me in a word I received years ago. I read it in the Bible and it brings encouragement and hope and strength to me in those difficult times. So we want you to utilize your Bible in the church. If you don't have one, just, just, just get one. And if you, don't, if you can't afford to get one, let us know. We have some Bibles here we'll be happy to give to you. In this story, Jesus in Luke chapter 14 was at a party, but I don't think um, it could have been described really as a party. It was a, a dinner engagement, but there was not a lot of joy there was not a lot of fun being had at this particular party. It was a dinner that was at the home of one of the religious leaders of the day. 
And these religious leaders of the day are watching Jesus at this party. Man, they are watching him closely. They're trying to find something that he has done that he's doing wrong, some mistake that he makes, so they can hold it against him. They have an agenda. Right at the beginning of this party, though, Jesus does something. There is a sick person at the party, and Jesus heals him. I mean, he was sick, he was disease-ridden, and Jesus heals him. I don't know what you think, but I think that's the kind of thing that happens at the beginning of a party that makes the party awesome, right? I mean, that makes a party happen. I think a joy should break out. Somebody just got healed at the beginning of this gathering, this this dinner engagement that we have together. Unless you're in charge of the party games that come later on in in the party, this is a pretty great moment. If you're in charge of the party games, it's not so good because then you've got, how are you gonna top that later on in the party? Lots of joy should be taking place, but it's not. It is just the opposite. The religious leaders miss out on the party. They don't celebrate with the man who just got healed. This guy just got healed. They don't celebrate with him because they're caught up in their own religious ritualistic rules. And what was the rule? The rule was Jesus healed him on the Sabbath, on the wrong day of the week. And so they're really upset about this. They have a problem with it. But they don't confront Jesus. I have a, you know, I live a life that I try to help people, work really hard to do that. But sometimes you're a target. And so I, recently I was a target and um, I found out that somebody didn't like something about my leadership. And uh, so obviously they're wrong. I'm just kidding. I, I'm just having fun. But uh, never mind. I, I digress. They didn't like that. But I didn't find it out from them. I found it out from others. So what do I have to do with that information? I have to do what Jesus did. I have to go straight to that person and have a conversation with them. We can't talk about it. We go go to them and uh, did. And usually by that point, by the time they filtered it out to talk to somebody else, what happens is, you know, what what I know is usually it's already, the damage has already been done and it takes a lot of work. I'm willing to work, work toward it, but it just, that, that's just the way. Anybody ever had that happen in your own life before? Somebody says something about you and you're, like, and you're like, man, why didn't they just come talk to me? We could have had that thing dealt with. It would have been no problem. That's, Jesus went to them uh, and he tried to talk, talk to them about their problem and so he confronts them. Um, and uh, here's, here's what happens. Luke chapter 14, verse number six. And they had nothing to say. Apparently, they've learned that debating with the Messiah doesn't work so well. Apparently, they've learned, don't get in a theological argument with Jesus Christ because it's not going to work out so good for you. You're going to lose that argument. So, so they had nothing to say. So what does Jesus do? I love this. He picks a fight with them. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I read in the Bible. So, I mean, it doesn't say he picks a fight with them, but it explains the discourse that takes place. Now, Jesus isn't, but these are people who thought of themselves more highly than they ought. And so, at least the party's not boring now, right? Because here we go. Here's how it went down. Jesus noticed that these religious people um, were arguing about who should have the best seat at the table. Oh, and Jesus says to them, "You're, you're arguing wrong. You should be flipping the script. Um, you should be arguing about who gets the least seat at the table, not the best seat at the table, because he's getting ready to talk to them about the first shall be last and the last shall be first, right? And here's the deal. They still don't respond. So what does Jesus do? 
he keeps on going. <laughs> this time, he decides, rather than talking to the whole group, I'm going to talk to the host of the party. <laughs> so that's what he does. He talks directly to the host in Luke chapter 14, verse number 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, guys, that the people who are sitting around this party table right now are his friends, his relatives, <laughs> his, his, his rich neighbors. I'm pretty sure his brothers, they're the ones sitting around the table right now. So Jesus is saying, when you, when you throw a party, yeah, don't invite these people. Imagine how awkward it is right now around that table at the party. He's, Jesus is really going here. The tension in the room is rising rather rapidly. Now, Jesus is not saying never invite these people. Rather, he's saying don't only invite these people. Continue. Let's look at verse number 12. We'll continue reading there. Um, if you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, that's party, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. <laughs> um, okay, there's some tension going on around the party room right now. I like the way that the New Living, Living Translation puts verse number 14. I'll put it on the screen. It says, then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Hmm. In other words, you invited these people. He's talking to the host because... They'll repay you because they can do something for you. They'll owe you one. That's why they're here. So Jesus challenges these religious leaders. He's like, guys, you need to rethink who you're inviting to the celebration. You need to rethink who you're inviting to the party. He says, find some people who can give you nothing in return. Find some people who... Um, I can't repay you at all and invite them. Jesus is specifically re referencing the people in the culture who are overlooked. So should we. There's a lot of tension in the room and, and Jesus talks to the host about the kind of party you should be throwing in the midst of the kind of party he really is throwing and it's getting tough. Now, my guess is in the room there are two types of people. First type of person is a little bit like me. Oh, snap. Right? It's that kind of person that says, dude, pass the popcorn. Something's going to go down. <laughs> this is going to be great. I want to see this. I got to watch this. this. I'm not going anywhere. I, I got to go to the bathroom, but I'm not going, man. I got to see what's going to happen from this. And then there's the other kind of person. The other kind of person is the, um, the, the peacemaker. Not a healthy peacemaker, but somebody who, um, who just wants to diffuse the situation doesn't want to deal with the issue and so recognizes the tension and the uncomfortableness in the room and just wants to crack a joke or just wants to, um, you know, streamline it elsewhere. So somebody who wants to redirect and kind of just get people's mind off the anxiety that's happening right now. That's what the next character in this story tries to do. Look at verse number 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. That sounds really great. I mean, in other words, this man is trying to settle everyone down, and he says, what a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. In other words, what he's saying is this. One day we're all going to be in heaven, and we won't have to worry about this anymore, and won't that be great? What a way to diffuse the tension in the room. One day we're all going to be in heaven and we're not going to have to deal with all this stuff that we're dealing with right now. Isn't that going to be awesome? Sounds like a pretty innocent thing to say. 
Jesus' response, he tells a story. Sidebar, if you are a religious person and you say something and the response of Jesus Christ to your thing that you said is to tell a story, (laughs) dude, you're in for it. You've done something wrong. I mean, it's not gonna go well for you now. And that's what Jesus breaks into this parable. And what he's doing is he's addressing a major assumption that these religious leaders have about who's gonna be at the party, who's gonna be in heaven, and who's not gonna be in heaven. Boy, they've got some biases. And Jesus is gonna take care of this. And it's pretty aggressive. And it's pretty raw. And he's addressing some things that you might not even know he's addressing. And we're gonna tackle this stuff today at a party. So Luke chapter 14, verse number 16, Jesus replied, here goes the story. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At at, at the time, verse number 17, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So the save the dates have already gone out. People know that there's going to be a party. They can't email or text people to remind people. So he sends the servant out to knock on people's door and say, party time, it's time to come to the party. You've been invited, let's go to the party. And, uh, well, that's not what happens. Look at verse number 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. (laughs) Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way then uh, to try them out. I don't know what that means to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. (laughs) If it was up to me, I'd go to the party. My wife says no. (laughs) So the master of the story clearly represents God. And God sends these invitations out to the people to come to the party. And the servant who goes and knocks on the doors, tries to get the people to come to the party, that's Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling a story about himself. And the people who receive the invitation, these are the Jewish people, specifically the Jewish leaders of the day. They've known about the party. They studied about the party their whole lives. They knew the Messiah was coming. He was standing right before them. They know it's going to take place. They've waited for the party for generations. And they're denying that it's even happening right now. So now Jesus is here. The servant has come. The party is ready. The food is hot. The decorations are up. The DJ is pumping. It's happening. People are saying, now, i got better things to do. I I just don't have time. they're, They're just not interested. Listen. They're not antagonistic, they're not mean-spirited, they're not rude, they're just not interested. You ever known somebody like that? Just, just, they're not rude, they're just not, not interested. So they politely decline. I want to take a look at these three groups of people just for the next two minutes. The first guy is a, says, um, you know, I, I bought a field, I need to inspect it. What is that all about? Well, that, that's really talking about material possessions and purchases that we have stuff in our lives. And it's the issue of priorities. It put the stuff before God. Listen, it'd be like someone saying, I'd love to come to your party. I just I can't do it. God, I'd love to come to that party, but we just bought a house and we're remodeling the house. And it's not that they don't want to come. It's not that I don't want to come. It's just, you know, I can't come. I really do want to come. I just, I can't. I've got my hands full right now. And when things slow down, when I get my house in order, then I'll give some attention to the invitation. But I can't really give any attention to it right now. Really what they're doing, listen closely, is they are believing they're going to find more joy in the house than they are in the invitation from God. Going to find more joy in our stuff than we will in the spirit of God. 
Listen, at the core of our Western world consumer culture is that if I don't have joy in my life, it's because I don't have something that somebody else maybe owns. There's nothing wrong with being driven. There's nothing wrong with material possessions. There's really nothing wrong with having a house. There's really nothing wrong with having a plot of ground. Nothing wrong with that. It's just an issue of priorities. We're taught that joy is just one purchase away. So what we do is we, we go from one purchase, we chase after joy, from one purchase to another, thinking that if I just had a little bit more, that joy would come. And it won't happen. It's like chasing the wind. Second guy says, I just bought five yoke of oxen. What's this all about? This is, an, this is addressing work and responsibilities, all of which is healthy. You got to work. You got responsibilities. We all have those things, but he's addressing, it's not that the person doesn't want to go to the party. It's just, you know, things are pretty hectic right now. It's really tough. It's a busy season. When things slow down, then I'll get some attention to changing my priorities. But listen, it's important. Time is money. I just made this investment, and I need to make the most of it while I can. You got to understand, in our culture, we struggle with the same thing. We put off the life that we know that God has called us to. No guilt, not, not heaping guilt. It's just reality. We put off the life that we know God has called us to because we're so busy trying to just hold everything together. I know, I know, I know, I'm there too. I made a promise to myself. My New Year's resolution 2017, the end of 2016 for all of last year, my resolution I made to myself, I shared it, I think, with you a couple, maybe once or twice, but... Um, to myself was I would not respond when someone said, how you doing, Troy? How you doing? My response would not be busy because, because that's wrong. There was a, there's an article by the New York Times a few years ago called The Busy Trap, which is pretty good. I want to, just a little excerpt. I'm going to read it to you. If you live in America in the 21st century, you probably had to listen to a lot of people tell you how busy they are. It's become a default response when you ask someone, anyone, how they're doing. Busy. So busy. Crazy busy. It is pretty obviously a boast disguised as a complaint. I think that's pretty clear. I actually, that's pretty true for the New York Times. I think it's very true. Without raising your hands, how many of you would say this, this describes you? I think several of us, we complain about how busy we are, but we really don't do a whole lot about it. In fact, we just add a little bit more to our schedules. Not everybody, but for some people, there's a lot of pride in this. I'm really cautioning us all, myself included. We're in a busy season. I'm, I want to keep my hand to the plow. I want to work as hard as I can. I want to give excellence to my life. But there is, a, there is a segment of our life that says we're supposed to work hard. We're supposed to celebrate hard. We're supposed to rest hard. Yes? And so I'd like us to really attach this to our lives. What happens, though, is oftentimes these super, super busy people that are really prideful about it, um, then when they do get a little bit of time, what happens? They just they binge on Netflix or spend hours on Pinterest or Instagram or Facebook, and, and, and we don't have time for God. Again, no guilt. It's not that people don't want to. It's just there's a lot of things going on. Here's the deal. It's all symptomatic of a calendar that is so full and a mind that is so distracted and a life that is so oversaturated that Jesus comes with an invitation. And we take that invitation and we put it on the kitchen counter with the other pile of junk mail. And we say to ourselves, I'll get to it. I'll get to it in time. The third guy declines the invitation to the banquet by saying, you know, I'm, I'm married. So again, the problem is an issue of priorities. Remember, how do I know that none of these in individually or innately are bad? Because marriage was the number one illustration Jesus used to talk to us about, about God, about heaven. And so marriage is not bad. It's just, if you put your spouse before God, your marriage isn't going to go so well. 
If you, if you, want, if you put God before your spouse, I promise you, you're going to find there's more love inside of you than you ever knew. That's just how it works with God. Hmm. And each of these excuses, you see that the person is banking on the fact that what's going to bring them joy is maybe a purchase or a promotion or a person. And that's what we do. The lack of priorities keeps us from living the life that Jesus has called us to live. If you're not prioritizing right, you're not going to experience the joy of the Lord at the level he wants you to experience it. And that's a good word for the beginning of a new year. Look at verse number 21. The servant, that's Jesus, came back and reported this to his master, that's God. Then the owner of the house became angry. God became angry and ordered his servant, that's Jesus, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The poor. It could be financial needs, but literally it's translated people without value. We are to find people who don't have value in our culture and go out of our way to give them value. See them as valuable and treat them as such. Um, I just sidebar. I am so grateful, babe, that somebody, um, when you were little, saw value in you to stop with a school bus and pick you up as a two-year-old that could even step up on the steps of the bus and pick you up and put you on the seat of the school bus and take you to church. And I'm so proud that for the next 15 years that those people in that church every Sunday when you went would love you, didn't matter how you looked, didn't matter how you smelled, didn't matter what you were going through at home, they loved you. If that hadn't happened, then... I wouldn't have gotten saved. Our children wouldn't be saved. You've got to find somebody who's overlooked. And you've got to pull greatness out of them. Because there is a great person in every human being. Crippled, the blind, and the lame. These are people who, in this culture, in, in that, back in that day, are people who were completely dependent upon other people. That's not so much today, right? There's a lot more independence today for people that are struggling with physical disabilities. Um, but in that day, they were completely dependent upon somebody else to help them, except for one group of people. There was one group of people that would not help the crippled, the blind, and the lame, the religious leaders. And the reason they wouldn't help the crippled, the blind, and the lame is because um, the religious leaders had decided that they were going to pass a resolution, that they had a, a rule, another rule that they put into their list, that these people had these disabilities because God was punishing them because somehow they had offended God. And because of that, they weren't allowed to come into the tabernacle. They couldn't come to church. They were ostracized. They were considered to be unclean in that culture. Are you kidding me? Well, what we find throughout the New Testament is Jesus was intentional to engage with people that the religious people avoided. <laughs> I think that should speak to us, New Life Church. The very people that the religious community avoided were the very people that Jesus seemed to engage. So you start looking at your life, and I start looking at mine. And we have to ask the question, am I avoiding the people that Jesus engaged? I hope we're not. We must be intentional about engaging in the lives of people who are oftentimes unnoticed or overlooked or excluded. Got a couple of parties that we're planning, some of our leader, leadership. I know there's going to be more parties that are going to be planned here in the next, in the next uh, 
a week or two. I just know that. But we're kicking off the year in a couple of uh, parties. Sometimes teens can be overlooked, feel alone. Y'all remember being a teen? I don't know very many people that say, I want to go back to being a teen. I, I wish I could go back to junior high. Anybody ever said that to you before? Yeah, they're nuts is what they are, right? That, I know because I just... They're, it's tough being a teenager. And so we just want to throw a party. And so uh, Kyler and David, our, our new youth leaders, they're going to throw a party. Um, on. It's actually this Friday night uh, going to be uh, held at our house um, because they don't have a home. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, because, yeah. And so it's going to be great. It's called Turn Up the Heat Party. So they're going to do fire pit and all that kind of stuff outside, just hanging out, have a good time. So send your teens over to our house from 7 o'clock, and we'll definitely tell you when it ends. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to host a party. I'm going to host a party. I decided I'm going to host a party on January 25th at 11 a.m., two-hour party, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., because that's the best time for a senior saint's party. If you are 50, 55, something like that, or retired or getting ready to retire, or you'd like to connect with people that are a little bit more mature um, in age, then I would like for you to join us at this party. It's 11 o'clock on Thursday, January 25th. At the first gathering, man, we had a lot of people come, but they're kind of pumped about this party. I'm not going to tell you what the theme of the party is, because you might not come. We're going to invite you to this party. We're going to have a great time at my house at 11 a.m. It's going to party party because oftentimes our senior saints are overlooked in culture we're trying to plan some other parties for some other groups in the church if you want to host a party tell us let's have a party now you understand what i'm saying about a party no keggers you know what i'm saying i thought that would go over a little bit better than it did some of y'all are very uncomfortable right now <laughs> i'm just having fun so we're gonna have some other parties maybe you have some ideas just it's not hard just be intentional about inviting and valuing people and loving people. Have a party. Have a, have a party. Listen to me. I don't think um, I don't think that God is blown away. Oh my! You guys are starting a second campus? Can't believe it. I don't think God is doing that. I don't think God is blown away by, I can't believe that, you know, seven years ago there was nothing, and now there's like you're pushing like big, like, oh, you got some, some weeks you have almost 200 people at church. I can't believe, I don't think God is doing that. I don't think we get the attention of heaven by anything we do. When we do get the attention of heaven, it's this. When, when one person who has been unloved is loved, you get the attention of heaven. When one person who has not been valued is now valued, that gets the attention of God. When, when one person who gets, who's been overlooked finally gets noticed, who's been uninvited gets invited, when one person who was lost and now is found, the attention of heaven is, is had. That's what Jesus called us to as a part of his kingdom. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe for you, you could consider volunteering to read occasionally to kids that are after school program. I don't know. Maybe you could help us minister. We decided as a leadership team, and I'm so excited, and, and I don't want to embarrass you, but um, uh, Susan, part of our church, she's the principal at Mossdale School. We've, uh, we've decided we as a church are adopting Mossdale School. We're partnering together with, with Susan and, and her team, and we really want to help minister to the students and the staff and the parents whatever way we can. Maybe you want to be a part of that initiative. You want to help us with that. Maybe that's the way you can love people. Maybe that's the way you can celebrate. Or you know what we've got going? We've, we, we announced on Wednesday what we're calling our deeper, uh, our, our deeper impact initiative. It's, it ex, it's explained on this paper that I said, but the deeper impact initiative is really simple. It's connect, grow, and serve. Connect. What do I mean by connect? Man, I, I want you to diligently pray for every home that surrounds your home. So the home that's to the north, to the south, to the west, and to the east, I just want you to pray this year for them. Four, four people. 
four homes, four households. That's what I want you to pray for. I had a guy come up to me after church on uh, uh, the first gathering, and he said, I have a home to the north, to the south, or north, to the east, and the west, but, the, but behind me, he said, is the entire, entire uh, mobile home park. He said, so I guess I'm going to pray for everybody there. And I'm like, yeah, right on. Good for you. That was his decision to do that. So pray north, south, east, west. And here's what I'd recommend. Get a piece of paper uh, and tape it to your north wall, your south wall, your east wall, and your west wall. Just reminds you to pray. And just put pray along the top and leave it blank. And every time you learn something about that family that lives there, write it down on your, don't be like weird. Don't put it on the outside of the home, right? <laughs> but put it on the inside. Just something, oh, I've learned that their name is, is Smith. So you write the Smith family. And you learn that his name is Fred and her name is Sally. And you write that down. You their kids' names. And you, you write, oh, uh, he struggles with diabetes. And you write that down. And you begin praying for that family. I guarantee you this year God's going to draw something out of that. Here's the deal. Go get the mail when they get the mail. Don't find a time to go get the mail when nobody else is there. I mean, don't be looking out the... You know. <laughs> but, but try to engage with people. Try, try to do that. And I'm telling you, your four people, families that you're targeting this year, please, on this Deeper Impact Initiative, is to connect with people of the north, south, east, and west of you. You might have already... Think, you might think you already burned a bridge with that person because you know they've been mowing a strip on your lawn forever, and you're like, "So you're not your yard? It's my yard. Get over." There. Figure it out. Figure is, is is isn't heaven worth more than that? So figure it out. Just be nice, right? Let the joy of the Lord come out. You should be the happiest person on the block. Maybe you can throw a party. Hey, we're having a few people over. Maybe you can do that. Now it's not like a trap party. Just just celebrate with people. Just have a good time with so and then grow. We want you to attend a midweek group. Guys, this is not like, oh, yeah, that's something the churches do. That's kind of cool. They have a few groups. Uh, some people should go to that. This is for you. Take one hour out of the middle of your week and come to a group. And we are serious about one hour. We're not like, like bait and switch. An hour, but it's really going to be two. It's one hour. And so during that, pick a class, come to the class. There's, it answers all your questions in the back. There are children's ministries, nursery, and that kind of stuff. Child care is going to be here. We want you to come to a group. So grow this year. We're asking you to grow in a very real way. And then finally, we want you to serve. Be intentional about this whole attend one, serve one. I know it's not easy for everybody, but um, some of you have teenagers, kids, you need to be at both gatherings. Um, you need to be here. You need to be here because we have teens and kids, you um, back there, they need to be in that. There are people that are studying and praying for these kids all week long, and they're ready to give an on-fire challenge and draw greatness out of your child. I, we never missed that I can remember our kids, unless they were sick or we were gone, ever missed them going uh, to what we call kids you, what used to be Sunday school. We never missed that. We want our kids to have that engagement. And I found out from my kids prior to starting kids you that they have some greater, they were sharing with me that they have greater memories from their Sunday school teachers than they did from their children's church experience. That might just be my kids, but I think smaller group, you're with kids more your, your own age, that's a really, really good thing. So you should attend one, serve one. Why, why do you need me to, because we need you. You're part of the family. And if you invite someone, if you connect it with your neighbor and they come to the 9 a.m. gathering and you're only at the 11 a.m. gathering, wouldn't it be great if, if you could be the one high-fiving people as they're walking in the door being a greeter for the first gathering while your kids and kids you, and you could be, man, I, I knew I'd see you. And then you can sit with them, help them to feel welcome at church, or anybody 
Guys, you don't have to like be a... Um, you don't have to be a member of the church to get involved in the church. We want everybody to get connected. There's hospitality, there's ushers, there's greeters, there's uh, uh, what we call service preparation between the gatherings. There's all kinds of things that we, could, we would, we actually want people, I want people desperately that say, I get the vision, Troy, that would say, man, I'd, I would love to be a parking lot attendant. Do we need parking lot attendants? We don't need parking lot attendants. I'm talking about a parking lot cheerleader, Okay. I'm not really talking about doing herkies in the parking lot. What I'm talking about is somebody who sees somebody pulling in. Man, I'm glad you're here. They see mama getting the baby out. Let me give you a hand. Let me get the door for you. You see what I'm saying? Somebody that says, I want people to receive that energy when they come to the house of God. I want people to receive that kind of welcome when they pull in the parking lot. We need the family of God. Attend one, serve one. It's connect, grow, serve. So in this story, the servant goes out and gives, the, Jesus goes out and gives these invitations to the people who have not been invited. Look at v- verses 22 and 23. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. I think that is the, the five words that still cry out from Jesus. But there is still room. There's still room at the party. Then the master told his servant, God told Jesus, go out into the roads and the country lanes and make them come in, that my house will be full. Hmm. Hmm. Big stuff you just read. So the servant is sent out of the city to another area. Sent out of the city into the country, which is, which is listen. You know what's going on at the party? Around the table? A bunch of racists are sitting around the table. Classic racism is going on around the table at this party. And if it wasn't already awkward, Jesus is telling this story, and they already heard him talking about the, you know, the people who didn't want to go because they had the, the purchases or you know, they, they had the, the, the work going or they had the, the, the marriage. They already heard him talking about them. They're already frustrated. Is he, is he talking about? He's not talking about us. But now Jesus has the audacity to say, listen, it's not just for these people. The party is for everyone. And there's this tension going on in culture at this time between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews hated the Gentiles, and the Gentiles hated the Jews. This was racism at its core, and Jesus is calling a spade a spade. He's calling them out in the middle of their party, and he's telling them we cannot be the... In fact, he already talked about it. Turn one page before Luke chapter 13, verse number 19, he already, uh, or 29, excuse me, he already addressed this. He said, people will come from the east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. He already introduced them to this. He's talking about, listen, there is a narrow way to me and people will be coming from everywhere to join me at this party that we call heaven, this party in the sky. And Jesus addressed this, listen to me. There is no room for racism in the kingdom of God. Some people say racism doesn't need to be talked about because it doesn't exist anymore. It's something that's in the past. You could have your head in the sand to think that way in our culture. It's clearly still an issue. In fact, the denial of racism is indeed racism. The denial of it actually is it. Now, I, I gotta be honest with you, I get it. I don't get racism, but I get it. When I look around the problems and I see the struggles in, in, of this world, 
I know that there's this, this part of us that wants to kind of live in denial of it. We want to live in our own bubble. We want to just put our head in the sand. We would love to think that racism is no longer a struggle and that we move past it by now. But that's not helpful. It's actually destructive. And I believe, listen to me now, I believe that the, that the only thing that can work is the gospel of Jesus Christ can tear down the walls of racism. Fast forward 15 years. Listen, from this party, 15 years in the future, 15 years later, Jesus has already died. He's already risen from the dead. He already walked on planet Earth. He ascended into heaven. The church was birthed, and the church is being established. And now Peter, Acts chapter 10, if you're going to turn there. And now Peter is one of the leaders in the early church. 15 years later, and we catch up with that in Acts chapter 10. And um, Peter is uh, dealing with something. And we're going to read in this story that he is dealing 15 years later as a leader in the church, after he spent all that time with Jesus, he's dealing with racism in his own heart. He sees the Gentiles as an inferior race, and God is going to strip him of this. In Acts chapter 10, God tells Peter to go to the home of a Gentile by the name of Cornelius and to tell his family about Jesus. Ooh, this was a lot to ask of Peter because he's never been to a Gentile's home before. Never been to a home of a Gentile before. I'm not saying Peter didn't have a Gentile friend when he was growing up. I'm, I'm not saying that, that he didn't like to work out to some exciting Gentile music, you know, that could pump up the Gentile. I'm not saying that. It's that Peter didn't have exposure to the Gentile world. And his um, lack of exposure and, and maybe the introductions he had to some Gentiles wasn't authentic. It wasn't real. He wasn't sharing life with any Gentiles. You fill in the blank. So he's out of his comfort zone, but he wants to be obedient to God. So in verse number 27, I'm winding down here, so stay with me. Verse number 27 says, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Oh, no. Peter's used to standing before a large crowd of people, preaching the gospel, telling the good news. He's used to standing, but that large crowd of people are usually Jewish people. They're usually Jewish. Uh, uh, Jewish uh, descent. They're not Gentiles. But he walks into the house, and the house is full of Gentile people. And he's not used to that, and he's a little uncomfortable. And it's, it, Peter does what Peter does. What does Peter do? If you know Peter's life and much in the Bible, then this is what Peter does. When Peter doesn't know what to do, he just begins talking. And when he begins talking, he begins saying stuff that he should have said. He puts his foot in his mouth all the time. And this this is after Jesus reinstates him, you know, and forgives him, and Peter, feed my sheep, and all these things. Listen, Peter puts his foot in his mouth. It, he, his personality is still there is what I'm saying. So when you get saved, your personality is still there. You still make some of the same blunders. Anybody know anybody who, when something uncomfortable takes place, maybe in your family or somebody you know, they just begin talking, right? Yeah, my wife is pointing straight at me, right? Okay, but yeah, um, not really, but that's, I get it. So I get Peter a lot. That's why I really appreciate Peter in the Bible. He just messes everything up, but God still uses him. And I say, thank you. Thank you, God, for that. And so in Acts chapter 10, Peter tells him to go in here, and he begins talking. And listen, um, Peter does the uncomfortable thing. Verse number 28, hmm. he said to them, you were well aware that it is against the law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. I can't believe you just said that. I can't believe he said that. When I read that, I can't believe he said that. In other words, I'm not supposed to be here in your company with you people, but I'm here right now, and it's against the law, but um, I just want you to recognize that. 
what, what a ridiculously foolish thing to say because he's uncomfortable. Um, and that's, that's the story of Peter. But um, the wound is deep, the divide is wide, it's racism and it needs to be addressed. But one of the things that I love, love, love about this story is healing has to start with somebody. And in this case, it starts with Cornelius' home. Because the response to this is humility. I think, I don't know for sure, but I think that when he, Peter says this to his family, I think Cornelius kind of looks and does a kind of a half smile, a little wink, and everybody kind of takes a little breath. And, you know, Cornelius begins to speak up with grace, um, with humility. He's not easily offended. They are willing to overlook some of Peter's rough edges to see that at least he's trying. Yes? It's interesting to me that God calls Peter to go to Cornelius' home because the Jews, at this point, were reluctantly allowing the Gentiles to become a part of their culture, all right? So they were slowly starting to graft in, but it was with a lot of caveats. They would say, like, you're invited, but um, you need to come to our part of town, and uh, you need to dress like us, and you need to eat like us, and you need to follow our customs, but it's going to be a good party. But God sends Peter to them. I want you to go to them, Peter. I want you to go on their home turf. Things started off kind of rough, but they're gracious, and things get back on track. Look at verse number 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Praise God. Remember, Peter was there 15 years earlier at the party that Jesus was at. Peter was there 15 years earlier when he heard Jesus say what he said. Peter was there 15 years early when Jesus called racism out. He called it what it was called, but Peter still had racism in his heart. It took 15 years for God to give him that new perspective. It wasn't on God. That was on Peter. What am I saying? I'm saying that sometimes sin takes some time. It takes some time to change. Racism is sin. It's not just a shortcoming. It's not just a weakness. It's not just a mistake. It's not just a bad habit. Racism is a sin, and it took time for Peter to even realize that he was guilty of the sin. Has that ever happened to you before? Has it ever taken you time to realize that what you're doing is even sin? You didn't realize it? And he needed to deal with the sin. He needed to repent. I love the way John Piper puts it. He says, the bloodline of Jesus is thicker, deeper, stronger than the bloodline of race, ethnicity, and family. As a church, it's my prayer that we would discover the power of this and we would be catalysts of change. We have to say the truth. I'll conclude with this. In Luke chapter 14, 15 years prior to this, Jesus was describing a banquet, a party, in which the invitations were going out to people all over. Guys, the question is not, have you been invited? Because you have been invited. You have an invitation. The party is for everyone. Revelation says that at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we get to heaven, when there's that party in heaven, there will be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation that will be there. So Jesus gave his life so that all people everywhere would get an invitation. The question that I have, um, what do you do with your invitation? What do you do with your invitation? See, the invitation that you get is the same invitation I get. It's, it's the, on the same embossed paper. It's on the same uh, linen envelope. It's, it's got the same font. It's got the same size and the same color. It's the same invitation. We all have the invitation to attend the party. 
But this, this party, heaven's party, it requires an RSVP. You can't, you can't crash this party. You can't just show up because you got an invitation. You know how it is. Get an invitation and, and here's what you do. You, let's, let's, let's say that I, uh, I invite Cindy to a party, okay? We had Keely and I throw a party. We invite Cindy and Cindy gets the invitation. Just gonna kind of throw this out there for a little bit. And, and, and Cindy kind of uh, bumps into Susan at church and, and says, um, hey, I got an invitation from Pastor and, and Keely to the party. Um, are you gonna go and Troy and Keely's party? And you begin talking, oh, I thought maybe I'd go. Well, okay, that sounds good. Then maybe I'll go too because that's what we do. Isn't that what we do? We talk about the party before we go to the party. You can, maybe you think the party's gonna be lame. This party is gonna be bumping in heaven. It's gonna be amazing. This party's gonna be happening. In this party's gonna have so many awesome decorations that the floor is made of gold, right? It's, got, it's gonna be so beautiful that the gate is one giant pearl, right? It's gonna, it's gonna have, in fact, this party is gonna be so bright that the, it never gets dark. It's, it's always, and the light comes from Jesus Christ. It's gonna be an amazing party. It's full of music and celebration and the food. It's a banquet table that goes on forever. It's all you can eat. Don't go to your hips. You're going to have no more pain, no more sorrow, no more discomfort, no more depression, no more anxiety, no more death, no more sickness. That's the party that we're gonna go to. It's the party that we're all invited to. Why would you not wanna go to the party? But you can't come unless you RSVP. That's the party in heaven. And it's not a joke. And it's not, it's not a story time. It's what I, I, I literally bet the farm on this. I'm all in. I know that this is real. And I want you to RSVP to the party, as I am. And so we're not, we're not just talking about Jesus. We're inviting you to enter into a relationship with Jesus. You gotta start somewhere. You gotta start somewhere. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together today. Thank you, Lord, for what you did worship and prayer at the beginning and through people's faithfulness in the middle and and thank you god for the exciting things that we heard are coming up in ministries here at the church thank you god for the word that's been spoken to us we receive it from you god the most important thing the most important the main thing needs to be the main thing and the main thing is have we rsvp to the party in heaven have we given our lives to jesus christ friends with your heads bowed and your eyes closed that's that's the question there is no other question Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so I'm asking you today, if you haven't said, Lord, I know that I've sinned, please forgive me. Come into my heart, change my life. If you haven't prayed a prayer similar to that and really meant it, if you haven't given yourself over to Jesus, if you still desire to keep, maintain control in your own life, if you still think that somehow you're, you're, you're a your self-control is greater than God's ability to help you? you. You need to RSVP the party. See, God doesn't just want you to attend the party in heaven. That's one of the great benefits. It's the greatest benefit. But he also wants to give you abundant life on earth. That may not be exactly the way you think it should be, but he's gonna help you. He's gonna be with you. He's never gonna leave you. If you haven't given your life, just like in the first gathering, People responded, if you haven't given your life to God, or maybe you had and you've drifted, I mean, you've really drifted, you've basically, let's just call it what it's called, you turned your back on God. And you're ready to say, Lord, I'm, I'm back, I'm here. I give my life to you, fresh and new today. I'm RSVP into this party. I don't wanna miss out on this because we're never promised another breath in our being. If you're ready to commit your life to Jesus, 
Then when I count to three, I just want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Lift it up. Come on now. Don't be afraid. Don't, sh don't be shy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm giving my life to you, Jesus. My whole life. Everything about me, God. I want you to pray this prayer. Leave your hand up. Nobody's looking. Leave your hand up. But I want you to pray this prayer out loud. You don't have to yell it, but just out loud right where you're at. Dear Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. God, I know I failed, but I ask for your help. I thank you for inviting me to the party. I receive the invitation, and I'm RSVPN right now. I ask God that you would be Lord of my life, be in control of my life. I confess that you are the Lord, and I ask that you'd forgive me of everything that I've done. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Put your hand down, because the Bible tells me, speaking of party people, the Bible tells me that when just one person, all, of, all across the face of this globe, just one person gives their life to Jesus Christ, something happens in heaven. I mean, I think the, the mirrored balls fall all over heaven. It's just my little old brain thinking. And I think the lights start going, and the bass starts a thumping, and I think the angels start to dance a little bit. I'm not sure if they're line dancing. I'm not sure what happens. But the Bible says that there is a celebration, a party going on in heaven right now where just one person comes to know Jesus Christ, and I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you. Praise God. It's a new year. It's a, new, it's a new you, it's a new life. We want you to go on the mission with us here at New Life Church. I'm proud of you. Don't back away from your relationship with God. Father, thanks for this time together. Bless us, strengthen us, heal us, deliver us, encourage us. May we be the most joy-filled people in our neighborhood, the most joy-filled people in our workplace, the most joy-filled peop people in the marketplace, the most joy-filled people at school. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest, and may he give you peace. Give the Lord a hand clap this morning. Can we do that? Praise God. Amen, amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a great day.